0: This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballerman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now.
1: This is Mike Ballyman, and this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 214, brought to you in association with Smart and EnlistedBoard.com, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Katka Letzing, CEO of Swiss Open Innovation Platform, Kickstart Innovation, brackets not in passing a relation of the US Kickstarter, to discuss a topic which we haven't visited in depth since 213 episodes ago, way back in LFP 001, namely how the whole matchmaking Dating and mating process works when it comes to disruptive fintechs working with incumbent mega FS companies. This is a topic which remains of relevance, and as it's a long time since we've discussed it in detail, I thought we should revisit it. And especially as many a fintech will have found, you can probably meet someone new and end up marrying them before you manage to seal a deal with some of the slower moving. FS incumbents. So there's always stuff to be refined in terms of the dating and mating process. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Good morning, Katka. Thank you for joining me on the show today.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Really great to be here.
1: And in terms of here, your here is my there, which is Zurich, but As we were just discussing before the show started, your here might have been my here, actually. (laughs) Funny how life goes insofar as all of my long-lost relatives are are principally in Zurich. As my great-grandfather left Zurich for America, and he was on the Golden Gate Bridge whenever that opened, which is quite some time ago. Then he spent uh, quite a few years living in England and uh, being married over here. Then moved back to Zurich, but for some very complicated reasons to do with my grandfather's marriage and his wife's relatives and World War II and a whole, whole bunch of stuff like that. Sad to say, I'm in the, I'm in the UK still. <laughs> not in Zurich, um, because uh, not least of which, Switzerland's a far better country, in my opinion. And also, talking about weather, you get proper weather over there. You get winters and summers. And uh, talking of weather, you were saying that actually, in all seriousness, weather is something that's been uh, affecting your... <laughs> open innovation platform really in terms of some of your clients.
2: Yes, um, it's you know so it's great to see the connections and I have to say I meet a lot of people who kind of have lots of connections to Switzerland so it's really interesting to, to see that not only coming through FinTech but also other ways and uh, yes, uh, we are definitely, you know, we open our batch uh, and it will come startups from all around the world um, just in the last two weeks and it's really funny to help with the deals but also dealing with situations and some of them are coming from African countries countries and we are not only helping them with the deals but also buying sweaters and their first proper shoes in their life so uh, it's definitely a challenge and all the levels not only in connection to innovation so yes
1: yes indeed and in terms of keeping your uh, southern guests warm um, from what i read these days switzerland was the first to invent a new uh, a new category there's always a scapegoating category there's the sort of anti-vaxxers there's the climate deniers and now you have something like heating dissidents or something over there and that uh, if any Swiss person in the land of the free dares to heat their house to 20 degrees this is now being described as a a sin and you'll be sort of beaten with a club or or sent to prison or or something like that so I hope that doesn't uh, catch on around the world and actually I find that sort of talking about my affection for Switzerland quite sad because when people ask me about constitutions the US of course having huge problems with theirs and as falling apart, as it rather relied on conventions of behaviour. I've always given Switzerland as the great example because the people can actually overturn sort of stupid laws and and all that kind of um, kind of stuff. But over the last two and a half years, I've rather sort of lost lost faith that it sort of kind of works, actually. So anyway, you can either pick up the thread about being a heating dissident, but don't tell anybody that your your office is at 20 degrees because that's the same. Or you can pick up the constitutional challenges of um, of Smith's federal governance.
2: Yeah, politics are always, getting complicated. You know, I worked on the White House initiative for 10 years in the US, so I could probably speak okay. for that hours. And maybe this is why I'm really excited. And my second career is really focusing more on the innovation and the private sector together with the startups, uh, because... I find it sometimes very challenging to find the best ways. And um I feel through the deals that we are making it's definitely not easy, but let's say it's not as political complicated. So um there's been definitely highlight for me to being engaged here for the last years. Yes.
1: Yes, totally. I can I can see that. And I remember um listening to Thomas Sowell, the brilliant um I was about to say American economist, but he seems to know about most things under the sun. And back in the day, he was a, a an avowed Marxist. He's now sort of very much sort of libertarian and data-driven, that kind of stuff. Getting very old now. Uh, anyway, he was asked in an interview, what was it that stopped him being a Marxist? And he, he said, it was very simple. I had a summer job with the government. <laughs> as, a, as a result of which, he realised that any game plan that involved the, the sort of central permanent administrative state being responsible for something must be the wrong one so he changed sides as it were so anyway you mentioned the fact that um, uh, talking about my great-grandfather having made it to America you, you made it from Central Europe over to America and um, came back again so what has your sort of career journey life journey been that sort of got you here today in terms of what, what you've experienced before and, and obviously how that informs how you see innovation and, and dating and mating amongst fintechs and um, fs.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in uh, Czechoslovakia, now Czech Republic and, you know, worked for the bank and uh, worked kind of, let's say, from the really traditional sources as uh, people go through the careers. But early on also was engaged with uh, family startups. And so always felt... This is something that I really wanted to do. And then after that, I moved um, to US and I was working for over 10 years on the White House initiatives, not only in connection to finance, but also other topics, um, to human rights, to sustainability and others. But the kind of main message was always creating new opportunities and uh, new businesses. And then moved to Switzerland, uh, where we were creating kickstart innovation and really connecting the different organizations and public and private sector, as well as uh, scale-ups, which is for us startups in the funding of Seed and Series A. And kind of the bottom line was really helping the different parties to create something new that can matter. And uh, lately, more increasingly also in connection to sustainability. So this has been kind of the journey for me. I have to say through all different experiences, it has been more of just Always helping uh, translating kind of the deals that um, can be created and hopefully make an impact. So, this um, has been, uh, you know, kind of the engagement that we've been doing for the past years.
1: Right. Well, in terms of uh, family histories and family trees, my former in laws were all uh, in Czechoslovakia. And, and indeed, I was in Czechoslovakia on the night when Czechoslovakia became Czech Republic or whatever it was called then, and Slovakia, staying at my then uncle in law, if such a thing exists. and. Uh, Uh, It very much stuck in my mind, because um, when the sort of, whatever your equivalent to Big Bang in Czechoslovakia, bond 12 for midnight, and it was finally sort of separated, my then uncle-in-law said one word. He said, (laughs) which means something like sort of finally or at last, which I thought was very interesting. So no matter how small the country, there's always a desire to split it up. And in terms of the uh, innovation, moving on to the main course, I think you know one of the interesting things here, i honestly presenting this in the context of fintech, but I think one of the useful things that you come with from your perspective is not necessarily seeing this as a question of fintechs trying to mate and date with massive insurance companies or, or massive banks, but it's more the general thing, which is in the, in the startup community as a whole, whether it's health tech or fintech or edtech for that matter, the small incumbent, needs at least to cooperate with the the big players, (laughs) even if it never actually does anything really big and and it eventually becomes a big player itself because that's how sort of industries tend to work. And connecting that to what you were just saying, maybe we'll pick up that theme here, and also it relates to governments and innovation and small companies and big companies, which is, you mentioned uh, language. And by language, I don't just mean Chesky or English or German or French, but even if people are speaking literally the same language, The way that people use words can differ significantly, and you can have a conversation between two people, let's say a fintech and a bank, let's say a naive fintech and a naive bank. They can be using the same words, and they can mean actually very different things. So maybe just give us a little bit of your experience as somebody who clearly speaks several languages on language and even the problems within a language of different types of entity and organization actually managing to misunderstand each other, even if it's not sort of, I don't know, a Czech person speaking to an American or something.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, yes, it's definitely a waste about language barrier, but I would say it's a lot connected to cultural barriers, which I experienced for many years working, you know, in diplomacy, but I would say it really translates to business as well. And so what we see, i give you example, just in last 10 days, we held with over 300 negotiations between the startups and the corporate and other organizations. And, you know, in Switzerland, people are super polite. And so they go to the negotiation, and the startups, you know, comes out of the meeting and say, Oh, my God, this was so amazing. I'm pretty sure I got a deal. And then you talk to the corporate who says, actually, I don't want to continue with this negotiation. And so I think it's a lot about kind of the indirect communication that happens. And, uh is if I kind of look at what is our role, many times we are the mediators and the translators (laughs) kind of of the deals. And also sometimes helping maybe to clarify some of these, um, let's say, misunderstandings or maybe things that were not even said that can actually help to make, create those partnerships or can create those relationships. And so I would say if I look back for last seven years, I think this is one of the most proud things that I am probably of uh, our activities and our team, because... It's uh, we are playing very important role, and I think a lot of deals will not happen if uh, such a uh, support was not provided. Um, and you know, it's there is not right or wrong. It's just a lot of parties come from different environments with different expectations, and for us, it's many times kind of level, leveling the expectations and make the best out of it. As I always tell my team, to change the challenge to opportunity. <laughs> this is definitely kind of our mantra, yes.
1: Yes, and, and hearing you speak and, and talking about moving around the world, um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but back in the 80s when I first started doing business with the Japanese uh, on the fund management side, it took me quite a while because fund management was still sort of nascent in terms of foreigners, gaijin, working with Japanese companies and managing their money. It took me quite a while to realise that the Japanese for no was yes, which is also the same as the Japanese for yes, which was yes. So you'd go, I'd fly around the world, and originally it was, this is via Anchorage, which was 18 hours, so it was quite a long way. And then, so it was a long way from the airport into central Tokyo, etc. And you'd have a meeting, and you'd say, oh, right, so shall we, and they'd say yes, and they'd nod their head and go, oh, that's great. <laughs> By the time I got back, I'd write a memo, as they were in those days, before, before email, saying, yeah, this is great. So I absolutely recognise what you say, which is that... Uh, One party thinks that it's great, and the other party thinks that it's subtly conveyed that this is the worst idea they've ever heard in their lives. And, of course, there's a spectrum within that. It's not just a question of yes and no, which is fairly easy to work out after a while, how people say yes and how they say no, even if it can be subtle. But when I founded my own FinTech back in 1998, the more subtle version was somebody who keeps saying, this is really interesting, come back and tell us more in three months. We're going back to the culture. This particularly happens in, in megacos where they've got too many people doing next to nothing. So people want something to fill up their diary because they're going to be paid to see you. You know, If you organise a, a, a meeting, I'm thinking of one bank in particular, I won't mention them, them back in the day. If you organise a meeting with them, the guy will be paid for having that meeting. He'll be really happy because he can tell his boss he's been doing something and, and all that kind of stuff. But the chances are, I will say, this is really interesting. I think we need to look at this in more detail. Can you come back again? And of course, you know, the salesperson who was me at the time goes, oh yeah, I'd love to come back. But it can take you quite a while to realise that Going back to the dating and and mating phrase, this is somebody who's quite happy to be bought a free coffee or a free glass of wine or taken to the cinema, but there's no interest in mating. And so actually, one of the things that I got out of that was I quite learned to appreciate the value of cultures that say no. You know, let's just take America as an example, just to sort of stereotype a little bit. You can have a meeting with Americans, they can say, well, this is no interest. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. Actually, I did get around to saying thank you very much because you're not pissing me around for six months wasting all my time. That's really, really, really helpful.
2: Yeah, I think this is something that uh, we, you know, when we went through the process of creating Kstart or just kind of in the interactions, working, you know, with different cultures and different countries that we try to make these shortcuts, let's say. So really preparing, hey, what are the topics of interest? So these, uh, let's say, these lengthy kind of additional meetings or things that are not really resulting uh, into the deals are not happening as much. I mean, it still will happen, but we really try to decrease that as much as possible. And for example, when I, as I mentioned through the process, um, you know, you have, let's say, negotiations, but all of that is scheduled in advance to kind of say there is an interest to work on that. And we also, it's almost like dating app that afterwards you can say, hey, I without any hard feelings that you say, I don't see this deal moving forward. And I think this kind of gives freedom a little bit because I can completely see what you were mentioning that you go to the meeting you don't meet a person uh, you know many times and you just want to be polite and you maybe like them really a lot on personal level so which is great that you create new connections but on the business level you kind of have the freedom to say listen I don't see this happening this year maybe next year but and it's it's kind of cool because it saves you lots of time and I think also money in the end of the day but also I think it feels good because you have better focus on things that, that you want to create so we definitely seen that not definitely it's still challenging that you know there's many surprises um and this is why we are also pushing people to connect and discuss these topics because many times in the deals people will say hey we are not interested and it's one of the best deals I think the best deals almost happen by accident still Uh, but it's in the structure way that people are more open-minded to it they know okay I need to log deal in next three months Uh, this is kind of the homework for all the parties and we help each other to make it happen which has been really fascinating that people say Hey, I will not make a deal, but you should talk to these other three people because I think there will be great contact for you for a deal, which we have never seen, you know, or didn't expect before we started this. Um, and I think this is kind of beauty creating this community and really... Also, it's not only, hey, this is hardcore, not going to work, but how can create value still, no matter what, if is it my personal success or not?
1: Yes, and let's come on to that value point next. But just to to wrap up again, listening to you speak there, one of the pitfalls in the dating and mating process in the sort of professional context, perhaps, but perhaps it also happens in real life situations in dating and mating between people anyway, which is that if you're sitting down and you think, okay, next month, which accounts do we need to follow up? There'll be some people you really got on with really well. You really enjoyed meeting them, as you say, as people. And so, oh, let's go and see them, let's go and see them. And then some difficult buggers that you really, you know, say, oh, God, they're a bit tricky and all that kind of, kind of stuff. And although wearing the professional hat, one's perfectly aware that the name of the game is doing deals <laughs> to create money so you can be paid and you don't starve to death, which is always sort of helpful for any business person, there's always the human tendency to look forward more to meeting the person you, you get on with. So, I mean, in the dating and mating case... You maybe sort of go out for a dating with someone and you end up like really good friends, quotes, brother and sister or something like that. And that's fine. But then in which case you need to, from a professional context, just move that onto another thing. And, you know, somehow clarify between the sort of, uh, hey, look, we we seem to get on well, you know, fancy a beer sometime after work, let's have a chit chat. Um, And then the other thing anyway is that actually quite often one finds in that kind of chit chat outside the business context that the person is much more able to give you more sort of um, navigation within the, the large organisation and might come to it, or actually explain why, well, actually, look, I've got no budget. I mean, the one where I was being dicked around for uh, several things until I sort of caught on having a slow learning curve, the actual thing was he had no budget. He would really want to do it, but he had no budget, and he was hoping that maybe one day he would get one. But in the meantime, I would have started it. So pick up this point that you say that actually, as well as these sort of cultural understandings or using language in different ways and uh, and... and how the dating-mating process can work. We have the question of, as you say, the value. So, hopefully, everybody listening to this podcast, because they're a very sophisticated audience, understands the idea that the fintech or the whatever, the small biotech or whatever, needs to understand what value they're bringing to the party, you know. We've created this. It can help you, whatever. Recover from a hangover really quickly, which will help all your business meetings be more efficient, just take a sort of silly case. And, you know, USPs and all this kind of stuff. I think it'd be very hard for fintechs not to understand that. That having been said, I think the challenge is more for the fintech that they don't understand the real pain points in an organization. They can say, we have metaphorically equivalent, Got vitamin C here. Vitamin C is really good for you. Take vitamin C every day, it's going to improve your general health. You know, you won't notice it day to day, but actually I'll guarantee that you know every few months you'll on balance be healthier than you would have. But so that's good. And people might want to take vitamin C. But in metaphorical terms, what you really need to know is that in this organization, they've got a pain in the shoulder, a terrible shoulder pain. And what they really want is their shoulder pain to go away. You know, what's the demand? And you say, oh, actually, not only I've got vitamins, but I've got something, which is really good painkiller as well, and your shoulder won't hurt anymore. So from your perspective as a a platform, how do you deal with this? How do you yourself see and and how have you experienced this, this challenge, which is that new businesses in any sector will have created something and they will have some value. And even if they don't express it particularly well, they will know what their value is, but they may not know so that's a product push. They may, may not know the demand pull. They may not know the pains in the organization, where that organization is bloody motivated to fix this as straight as, as soon as possible. And if they knew the pain, then they could position their product that much better. And so presumably, or maybe, in an ideal world, the ideal matchmaker is somebody who understands the value on the one hand and the pains on the other, like two Venn circles, and says, this is where the overlap is, guys.
2: I think, you know, it's quite a big question and I thank you so much for kind of sharing that. I think it's it's really about kind of knowing a little bit kind of the core and then the kind of also having the strategy because, you know, a lot of startups, as you mentioned, kind of say, hey, I love my startup. I I love my idea. And this is kind of the next big thing, but we are kind of there to pushing to push them there to say, Hey, um, there really needs to be, you know, also someone who wants to buy your product and there needs to be someone who kind of invest in that. And if, if there is no match to that, I think this is kind of a little bit misopportunity. The same thing is for the private and public institutions to kind of say, hey, these are the things that we are looking for and this is how can we collaborate together. And, you know, because we see a lot of, um, I would say it's so clear that like what what people or what the startups and the organizations should be doing, but many times it kind of makes a really huge difference of the strategy of what they want to accomplish and how also success look like for them because it's really different from both of the sides. And many times the startups are quite, distracted pushing no matter what their solutions that maybe nobody wants and so i think this is something that there's been definitely something that we try to approach not only like also on the trends let's say in fintech it has been quite changing in the last five ten years and so we really try to encourage them to say okay because this is what you think it's a kind of a solution to the problem doesn't mean that's really needed on the market and uh, that it can actually be created to really valuable deals so yeah I hope this answers a little bit.
1: Okay, so one of the things I get by hearing what you were saying is that uh, there is immense value, which fintech has realised over a period of time, if not at the beginning, um, naturally, of having somebody in your organisation who comes from the big uh, incumbent, (laughs) somebody who literally has lived in that culture and lived with the problems, know where the pain points are. Now, moving on from the sort of product push, demand pull, pain points type thing there is then also the challenge for the small co in dealing with the big co of understanding the complex internal landscape within big co and uh, literally finding the right person and ideally a person with a budget so how do you see that working on your platform and again going back to my experience you can spend a long time speaking to the wrong division, literally, or the wrong person. You know, you may have a chairman of the board who wants to do something, but by, if, if you go into the 17 divisions in the wrong division at the wrong wrong place at the wrong time, it'll be very hard work.
2: Yes, I think it's it's very, um, it's important to to kind of align in advance. So, you know, if we do the matchmaking, so let's say, and deals in September, we really spend uh, quite a lot of uh, months working really closely with the corporates and to say, hey, what are the challenges you're looking for? Um, then we go all around the world to ch- uh, to really find the startups based on these challenges, uh, which we call also opportunities, <laughs> since I'm American. And then we um, really help kind of to let's set up environment where they can have the deals. And most of the times um, there's really or actually so there's always expectation that there needs to be skin in the game from both sides, which means that there are funds available from the organizations and the startups also kind of say, okay, this is a deal that is paid and we need to take it seriously on the delivery side because we have seen a lot of free meals in the past and the difference, what it made uh, for us was that there is really skin into the game, not only from one side, but from both of the players.
1: Yes, exactly. So I can see if you're approaching it from the perspective of you, the matchmaker, knowing the big co, the big co-issues, who's got the budget and who's trying to fix it, um, that is obviously uh, much easier, vice versa. There is the challenge for fintechs, which is for the sake of argument, they want to deal with Citigroup. There's a third of a million people around the world, you know, and they may well have just the product for the right person in Citigroup, but finding that one person in the 300,000 is rather tough. Uh, and, and again, whether you want a platform or whether you have advisors you work with or consultants or something who can help you get in, it's an issue to be solved. So one of the other things which was implicit in this process of of dating and mating is just like with dating, you need to filter out. You know, you don't want to accept uh, every potential date. This tends not to be a problem for the for the loan fintech because the loan fintech won't get hundreds of banks in Canary Wharf wanting to see it uh, tomorrow if it formed yesterday. But from your perspective, how do you see this filtering out of potential dates and only going on on a sensible number in the first place?
2: So we have um, we kind of have this uh, process that uh, you go on the first date, and um, of course for the. You know when there uh, there is a we basically kind of set up um, this one-on-one the, the deals making and um, both parties are asking the right questions and ideally and kind of have the deep dives but they also have a freedom after the first one-on-one to say from both of the sides hey this is not something that we want to explore further which really kind of saves time because when you think of it in the last ten days we help with over three hundred negotiations. And in the end, we'll probably have around fifty deals. Uh, It just saves time that after the first meeting or second meeting, you say, "Listen, this is super cool, but this is not either matching to our needs right now, or to our funds, as you mentioned, and our budget, or and there are other priorities." So out of these deals that I have had, like 15 of them, I really want to focus on these five and I think it really make a uh, kind of a difference from both sides. So I think this is something that really, it took us a while to figure out the process, but uh, I have to say now it's really kind of well run machine and it's really appreciated from both sides because, you know, uh, from the corporate side, um, they have a pressure to see kind of the investment and the return, of course. Um, From the startup side, it means kind of being maybe around or not around because if they spend um, time on very wrong conversations and wrong deal making, they will lose funding and I know me not might be around in the next six months. So it's kind of, uh, we got like, this is kind of all based. I think one of the things also that's interesting is that Um, all of us who created it have have had our own startups so we always felt the same struggle and we just wanted to maybe learn from it and kind of to say okay hey i had to go through these mistakes i had to go through these challenges how can we solve it um, for the future let's say generation of startups so this was really important to us in the same time also to the corporates that they are not frustrated hey, you're bringing me startups, I cannot make these deals, this is not good. So we also save, let's say, a little bit the face of the startup community that we are making deals that are happening because then there is attraction and they are more motivated to work with startups and say, okay, this makes sense, this really is good for us, this saves us budgets and we don't have to do it internally. We see that actually working with startups makes sense.
1: Interesting. So one of the words you mentioned there, which is an art which you can spend a lifetime perfecting, is the word negotiation and uh, i'm sure i saw some book a while long time ago that said everything in life is a, n- a negotiation <laughs> while well, you're dealing with your your partner your children <laughs> your parents your work we're always negotiating and from the sort of the deal making perspective negotiation we might call the process of where both sides are in potential willing to get to the mating stage. How both sides, and this doesn't so much apply in the, the human relationship version, but definitely does in the business relationship version. How can we make that period not too long? I mean, we could, for example, spend two years getting the perfect negotiation with the sake of argument Citigroup, who I mentioned. but in the meantime, your FinTech's gone bust. So one thing is how do we do it efficiently? And then the second thing, of course, and this gets easier the more clients that a, a, a small co has got. The second component is how do you get a good deal? So for your first client, you might you might want to be doing it for sort of next to nothing, because then you can say, oh, we've well, got Citigroup, which makes it much easier to get the second client and the third client, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how do you approach these two dimensions of negotiation in terms of efficient process that's going to conclude sooner? rather than later. But then also this question of getting a good deal, albeit the word good, can depend on where you are in terms of how many clients you've got so far.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I can speak maybe about the official one and maybe I can speak about the juicy unofficial one. So from my experience. So um, for the official one, it is really understanding. And I think, you know, when we speak about matchmaking, a lot of that's about listening, really listening the needs and understanding where can be matched and, and kind of pushing for that in the right direction. And this definitely happens through the process that we're mentioning. But I think second part, which has been really interesting for us, which we didn't know that this is going to be happening when we're creating that, that we built ecosystem. So when we speak in FinTech, um, we have banks, uh, you know, working next to each other in Switzerland. And in the sense, it's a little bit as a competition. Then they know they would like to announce pilots and commercial projects. And this has been really kind of cool because in you know we usually announce the deals in 10 weeks um so uh and the feedback from us is hey we are working on this for 12 months usually so this is cool that you speed up the process and i think a lot of that yes is through the process and the connections but i think there's also this human desire to kind of compete and find the best deals (laughs) and so there is um really banks and insurance companies and other organizations who say oh you know um i need to um Make the deal because others are next to me, and I, was, you know, if they're making deal, there is no reason why I could not make that. So I think this is uh, maybe something that's been interesting because we are always asked why are you putting this group of corporates together, um, and, and a lot of that is because they help each other, but they also compete for the pilots. And I think this has been really successful on that level. So yes, that will be my unofficial answer to to why is it really happening.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope the listeners. I've had uh, another ability to take a a step back from a situation which many of them might be in and gain a different way of thinking about some of these issues and we will come on in a second to kickstart innovation. But clearly, for many, the value of having the right kind of platform can really help. So, before I wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all you listeners out there, my brand partner for the podcast. Smart is transforming pensions in retirement worldwide. Their leading-edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and J.P. Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. The board.com your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board an engine of growth today. So, CapCut, I think the audience have got a sort of fairly good understanding of sort of modern matchmaking between small cos, big cos, in this case, uh, fintechs and mega incumbents. But before you, you tell them what you need even more of to get even bigger and better than you are today. Maybe you'd just like to sort of fill in the the bits that um, we don't know, and in particular, you know, what kind of fintechs come to your platform. You've mentioned some African fintechs, so clearly it's not just a Swiss-only platform. And what type of incumbents on the other side, given that financial services is a vast complex of sort of different verticals doing rather different things, and there's not a lot in common between, for the sake of argument, a Uh, an insurance company and a a sort of foreign exchange uh, trading business. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So our fintechs, um, you know, in the vertical is the finance and insurance. So it's in both parts. I would say that a lot of fintechs have been focusing on uh, internal processes that we have seen with the banks, uh, especially fighting, let's say, the legacy systems in the past. Uh, We have seen a lot of focus on cyber security. So this year, for example, a really cool startup from UK, which is called CyberSmart. And there's also startups that are uh, Kind of in demand a lot, focusing on uh, the environmental footprint and kind of uh, collecting the data. So, uh, we've been working, uh, for example, with in our batch this year, we have a startup um, from the Nordics um, from Sweden called Duke Economy. And then, the last topic that I would say uh, on the financial services uh, has been also focusing on uh, uh, kind of women empowerment and uh, let's say finances for women. Uh, There's been definitely increasing for us in Switzerland, uh, with the banks uh, connected to the services um, that are uh, going there. Um, A lot connected also to impact investing. So this is definitely something on the trends that we have seen from the fintechs uh, that are coming to our batches. Next to, of course, additional traditional fintechs that are focusing a lot through the technology. So a lot of the tech that we had that been used, it's really artificial intelligence, blockchain, and you name it, um, of course, um, towards that, which is not as new. Maybe there's just different case studies that we can see um, happening on
1: those topics. And so, are your fintechs that you work with worldwide on the one hand? And are are the financial services companies just Swiss companies? Are you helping people from outside Switzerland and in Switzerland date and mate with Swiss incumbent financial services? Or is it uh, the target market broader than just Switzerland?
2: So our startups, um, you know, we don't really focus on the location. The most important is the match of what they are doing. And so for us, um, just historically, it has been that 70% of the startups have been global and 30% local. The local ones are with a lot of focus on regulatory issues because you can imagine with Switzerland, it's quite different to many other countries. And so this has been a bit easier way, but I will not say this is always kind of the case. It's just been happening a lot. From the corporate side, uh, we work with banks like Credit Suisse, PostFinance and others that are locally and globally driven. And this year we also launched um, with organizations outside of uh, Switzerland. So we're engaging really heavily in Austria. So for example, this year uh, we have partners coming from there, mostly happening and connected to smart cities. But we are going to increase that also as we go to request in finance and insurance for next year.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I can see that makes sense for no doubt a number of the listeners listening to the podcast to check you guys out if they want Target FS in that area. And just then, finally, you're obviously doing a great job today. What do you need tomorrow to be even bigger and better? Than you are, in case uh, listener, listeners out there happen to have it.
2: <laughs> so, I, you know, in innovation, I think there's so many things to do. Always, um, for me personally, I was really excited this year to really shift, um, to see the like not only making deals but also deals with impact in connection to a lot of the, to SDGs and to circular economy, and so. My wish is that uh, the corporates and uh, you know, especially really traditional institutions um, are open-minded to deals that um, not seeing them only as a must and the change, but also seeing them as a huge business opportunity because this is really coming to us on a daily basis. And of course, scale in the big way to make deals that really matter on you know B2B or B2C and, uh, and just to, to grow that as much as possible. Um, and seeing that impact, I have to say I'm really proud to go to the store or go to a banking app now and using the solutions that we built in the last seven years and using that every day and seeing that impact. So I hope that I can do that more, not only in Switzerland, but also in other countries. And maybe Mike, who knows, maybe you can do that together in upcoming uh, days.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been eight years, as I said at the beginning, since we've dived into this topic and probably eight years too many. And I think The listeners will have heard, as I have, that um, you guys have not just a theory in your mind about this is how you do it, because it said so in a book or something like that, but also plenty of experience of practice where the rubber actually hits the road and and how things actually uh, work out and you marry the two. So I wish you and Kickstart Innovation every success in the future.
2: Thank you so much, Mike, and thank you so much for what you do. It's really inspiring and looking forward to being in touch and all the best.
1: Thanks for listening. If you are in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional, FS and FinTech or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman.
0: We could Watching the firelight dance, watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moonrise, watching a happy moonrise Come away from the city, but with the tarmac so dead and the people so sad. Come away from the city, but with the faces so gray. The mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fade in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Watch the firelight dance with me, watch the firelight dance with me Watch the firelight dance with me, watch the firelight dance with me Watch the firelight dance with me, watch the firelight dance with me Watch the firelight dance with me, watch the firelight dance with me.